Wessex Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Distracted Preacher by Thomas Hardy, read by Tyke Hines. Chapter Seven: The Walk to Warmel Cross and Afterwards. As the goods had all to be carried to Budmouth that night, the excisemen's next object was to find horses and carts for the journey, and they went about the village for that purpose. Latimer strode hither and thither with a lump of chalk in his hand, marking broad arrows so vigorously on every vehicle and set of harnesses that he came across, that it seemed as if he would chalk broad arrows on the very hedges and roads. The owner of every conveyance so marked was bound to give it up for government purposes. Stockdale, who had had enough of the scene, turned indoors thoughtfully and depressed. Lizzie was already there, having come in at the back, though she had not yet taken off her bonnet. She looked tired, and her mood was not much brighter than his own. They had but little to say to each other, and the minister went away and attempted to read. But at this he could not succeed, and he shook the little bell for tea. Lizzie herself brought in the tray, the girl having run off into the village during the afternoon, too full of excitement at the proceedings to remember her state of life. However, almost before the sad lovers had said anything to each other, Martha came in in a steaming state. Oh, there's such a stir, Mrs. Newbury and Mr. Stockdale. The King's excise men can't get the carts ready nohow at all. They pulled Thomas Ballam's and William Rogers's and Stephen Sparks' cart into the road, and off came the wheels, and down fell the carts, and they found there was no linchpins in the arms. And then they tried Samuel Shane's wagon, and they found that the screws were gone from he, and at last they looked at the dairyman's cart, and he's got none either, and now they've gone to the blacksmith's to get some made, but he's nowhere to be found. Stockdale looked at Lizzie, who blushed very slightly, and went out of the room, followed by Martha Sarah. Before they had got through the passage there was a rap at the front door, and Stockdale recognised Latimer's voice addressing Mrs. Newbury, who had turned back. "'For God's sake, Mrs. Newbury, have you seen Hardman the blacksmith up this way? If we could get hold of him we'd e'en almost drag him by the hair of his head to his anvil, where he ought to be.' "'He's an idle man, Mr. Latimer,' said Lizzie archly. "'What do you want him for?' "'Why, there isn't a horse in the place that hasn't got more than three shoes on, and some have only two. The wagon-wheels be without strakes, and there's no linchpins to the carts. What with that and the bother about every set of harness being out of order, we shan't be off before nightfall, upon my soul we shan't. Tis a rough lot, Mrs. Newbury, that you've got about here. But they'll play at this game once too often, mark my words they will. There's not a man in the parish that don't deserve to be whipped.' It happened that Hardman was, at that moment, a little further up the lane, smoking his pipe behind a holly-bush. When Latimer had done speaking he went off in this direction, and Hardman, hearing the exciseman's steps, found curiosity too strong for prudence. He peeped out from the bush at the very moment that Latimer's glance was on it. There was nothing left for him to do but come forward with unconcern. "'I've been looking for you for the last hour,' said Latimer, with a glare in his eye. We're sorry to hear that, said Hardman. I've been out for a stroll to look for more hid tubs to deliver them up to the government. No, oh, yes, Hardman, we know it, said Latimer with withering sarcasm. We know that you'll deliver them up to the government. We know that all the parish is helping us and have been all day. Now will you please walk along with me down to your shop and kindly let me hire you in the king's name. They went down the lane together and presently there resounded from the smithy the ring of a hammer not very briskly swung. However, the carts and horses were got into some sort of travelling condition. 
but it was not until after the clock had struck six, when the muddy roads were glistening under the horizontal light of the fading day. The smuggled tubs were soon packed into the vehicles, and Latimer, with three of his assistants, drove slowly out of the village in the direction of the port of Budmouth, some considerable number of miles distant, the other excisemen being left to watch for the remainder of the cargo, which they knew to have been sunk somewhere between Ringsworth and Lulstead Cove, and to unearth Owlet, the only person clearly implicated by the discovery of the cave. Women and children stood at the porch doors as carts, each chalked with a government pitchfork, passed in the increasing twilight, and as they stood they looked at the confiscated property with a melancholy expression that told too plainly the relation which they bore to the trade. "'Well, Lizzie,' said Stockdale, when the crackle of the wheels had nearly died away, "'this is a fit finish to your adventure. I am truly thankful that you have got off without suspicion, and the loss only of the liquor. Will you sit down and let me talk to you?' "'By and by,' she said, "'but I must go out now.' "'Not to that horrid shore again,' he said blankly. "'No, not there. I am only going to see to the end of this day's business.' He did not answer this, and she moved towards the door slowly, as if waiting for him to say something more. "'You don't offer to come with me,' she added at last. "'I suppose that's because you hate me after all this. Can you say it, Lizzie, when you know I only want to save you from such practices? Come with you, of course I will, if it is only to take care of you. But why will you go out again?' "'Because I cannot rest indoors. Something is happening, and I must know what. Now come,' and they went into the dusk together. When they reached the turnpike road she turned to the right, and he soon perceived that they were following the direction of the excisemen and their load. He had given her his arm, and every now and then she suddenly pulled back to signify that he was to halt a moment and listen. They had walked rather quickly along the first quarter of a mile, and on a second or third time of standing still she said, "'I hear them ahead, don't you?' "'Yes,' he said, "'I hear the wheels. But what of it? I only want to know if they get clear from the neighbourhood. Ah, he said, a light breaking upon him, something desperate is going to be attempted, and now I remember there was not a man in the village when we left. Hark, she murmured, the noise of the cartwheels had stopped and given place to another sort of sound. Tis a scuffle, said Stockdale. There'll be murder. Lizzie, let go my arm, I'm going on. On my conscience I must not stay here and do nothing. There'll be no murder, and not even a broken head, she said. Our men are thirty to four of them. No harm will be done at all. Then there is an attack, exclaimed Stockdale, and you knew it was to be. Why should you side with men who break the laws like this? Why should you bide with men who take from country traders what they have honestly bought with their own money in France? she said firmly. They were not honestly bought, said he. They are, she contradicted. I and Owler and the others paid thirty shillings for every one of those tubs before they were put on board at Cherbourg, and if a king who has nothing to us sends his people to steal our property, we have a right to steal it back again. Stockdale did not stop to argue the matter, but went quickly in the direction of the noise, Lizzie keeping at his side. Don't you interfere, will you, dear Richard? she said anxiously as they drew near. Don't let us get any closer. Tis that warm across where they are seizing them. You can do no good, and you may meet with a hard blow. Let us first see what is going on, he said. But before they had got much further the noise of the cartwheels began again, and Stockdale soon found that they were coming towards him. In another minute the three carts came up, and Stockdale and Lizzie stood in the ditch to let them pass. Instead of being conducted by four men, as had happened when they went out of the village, 
the horses and carts were now accompanied by a body of from twenty to thirty, all of whom, as Stockdale perceived to his astonishment, had blackened faces. Among them walked six or eight huge female figures, whom, from their wide strides, Stockdale guessed to be men in disguise. As soon as the party discerned Lizzie and her companion, four or five fell back, and when the carts had passed, came close to the pair. "'There's no walking up this way for the present,' said one of the gaunt women, who wore curls a foot long, dangling down the side of her face, in the fashion of the time. Stockdale recognised this lady's voice as Owlet's. "'Why not?' said Stockdale. This is the public highway. Now, look here, youngster, said Owlet. Oh, tis the Methodist parson. What, a Mrs. Newbury? Well, you'd better not go up that way, Lizzie. They've all run off, and folks have got their own again. The miller then hastened on and joined his comrades. Stockdale and Lizzie also turned back. I wish all this hadn't been forced upon us, she said regretfully, but if those excisemen had got off with the tubs, half the people in the parish would have been in want for the next month or two. Stockdale was not paying much attention to her words, and he said, "'I don't think I can walk back like this. Those four poor excisemen may be murdered for all I know.' "'Murdered?' said Lizzie impatiently. "'We don't do murder here.' "'Well, I shall go as far as Warmwell Cross and see,' said Stockdale decisively, and, without wishing her safe home or anything else, the minister turned back. Lizzie stood looking at him till his form was absorbed in the shades, and then, with sadness, she went in the direction of Nethermoynton. The road was lonely, and after nightfall at this time of the year there was often not a passer for hours. Stockdale pursued his way without hearing a sound beyond that of his own footsteps, and in due time he passed beneath the trees of the plantation which surrounded the Warmwell cross-road. Before he had reached the point of intersection he heard voices from the thicket. "'Oi! Oi! Oi! Help! Help!' The voices were not at all feeble or despairing, but they were unmistakably anxious. Stockdale had no weapon, and before plunging into the pitchy darkness of the plantation he pulled a stake from the hedge to use in case of need. When he got among the trees he shouted, "'What's the matter? Where are you?' "'Here,' answered the voices, and pushing through the brambles in that direction he came near the objects of his search. "'Why don't you come forward?' said Stockdale. "'We be tied to the trees.' "'Who are you?' "'Poor Will Latimer, the exciseman,' said one plaintively. Just come and cut these cords, there's a good man. We were afraid nobody would pass by to-night. Stockdale soon loosened them, upon which they stretched their limbs and stood at their ease. The rascals, said Latimer, getting now into a rage, though he had seemed quite meek when Stockdale first came up. Tis the same set of fellows. I know they were mounting chaps to a man. But we can't swear to em, said another. Not one of them spoke. What are you going to do? said Stockdale. I'd fain go back to Moynton and have at him again, said Latimer. So would we, said his comrades. Fight till we die, said Latimer. We will, we will, said his men. But, said Latimer, more frigidly, as they came out of the plantation, we don't know that these chaps with black faces were Moynton men, and proof is a hard thing. So it is, said the rest. And therefore we won't do nothing at all, said Latimer, with complete dispassionateness. For my part I'd sooner be them than we. The clitches of my arms are burning like fire from the cords those two strapping women tied around them. My opinion is, now I've had time to think of it, that you may serve your government at too high a price. For these two nights and days I've not had an hour's rest, and please God, here's for home along. 
The other officers agreed heartily to this course, and, thanking Stockdale for his timely assistance, they parted from him at the cross, taking themselves the western road, and Stockdale going back to Nether Moynton. During that walk the minister was lost in a reverie of the most painful kind. As soon as he got into the house, and before entering his own rooms, he advanced to the door of the little back parlour in which Lizzie usually sat with her mother. He found her there alone. Stockdale went forward, and, like a man in a dream, looked down upon the table that stood between him and the young woman, who had her bonnet and cloak still on. As he did not speak, she looked up from her chair at him with misgiving in her eye. "'Where are they gone?' he then said listlessly. "'Who? I don't know. I have seen nothing of them since. I came straight in here. If your men can manage to get off of those tubs, it will be a great profit to you, I suppose.' A share will be mine, a share my cousin Owlet's, a share to each of the two farmers, and a share divided amongst the men who helped us. "'And you still think,' he went on slowly, "'that you will not give this business up?' Lizzie rose and put her hand upon his shoulder. "'Don't ask that,' she whispered. "'You don't know what you are asking. I must tell you, though I mean not to do it. What I make by that trade is all I have to keep my mother and myself with.' He was astonished. "'I did not dream of such a thing,' he said. I would rather have swept the streets had I been you. What is money compared with a clear conscience? My conscience is clear. I know my mother, but the king I have never seen. His Jews are nothing to me. But it is a great deal to me that my mother and I should live. Marry me and promise to give it up. I will keep your mother. It is good of you, she said, trembling a little. Let me think of it by myself. I would rather not answer now. She reserved her answer till the next day and came into his room with a solemn face. "'I cannot do what you wished,' she said passionately. "'It is too much to ask. My whole life has been passed in this way.' Her words and manner showed that before entering she had been struggling with herself in private, and that the contention had been strong. Stockdale turned pale, but he spoke quietly. "'Then, Lizzie, we must part. I cannot go against my principles in this matter, and I cannot make my profession a mockery. You know how I love you.' and what I would do for you. But this one thing I cannot do. But why should you belong to that profession? She burst out. I have got this large house. Why can't you marry me and live here with us, and not be a Methodist preacher any more? I assure you, Richard, it is no harm, and I wish you could only see it as I do. We only carry it on in winter. In summer it is never done at all. It stirs up one's dull life at this time of the year, and gives excitement which I have got so used to now that I should hardly know how to do without it. At nights, when the wind blows, instead of being dull and stupid and not noticing whether it do blow or not, your mind is a field, even if you are not a field yourself, and you are wondering how the chaps are getting on, and you walk up and down the room and look out of the window, and then you go out yourself, and know your way about as well by night as by day, and have hair-breath escapes from old Latimer and his fellows, who are too stupid ever to really frighten us, and only make us a bit nimble. He frightened you a little last night, anyhow, and I would advise you to drop it before it is worse." She shook her head. No, I must go on as I have begun. I was born to it. It is in my blood, and I can't be cured. Oh, Richard, you cannot think what a hard thing you have asked, and how sharp you try me when you put me between this and my love for E. Stockdale was leaning with his elbow on the mantelpiece, his hands over his eyes. We ought never to have met, Lizzie, he said. It was an ill day for us. I little thought there was anything so hopeless and impossible in our engagement as this. Well, it is too late now to regret consequences in this way. 
I have had the happiness of seeing you and knowing you at least.' "'You descend from the church, and I descend from state,' she said, "'and I don't see why we are not well matched.' He smiled sadly while Lizzie remained looking down, her eyes beginning to overflow. That was an unhappy evening for both of them, and the days that followed were unhappy days. Both she and he went mechanically about their employments, and his depression was marked in the village by more than one of his denomination with whom he came in contact. But Lizzie, who passed her days indoors, was unsuspected of being the cause, for it was generally understood that a quiet engagement to marry existed between her and her cousin Owlet, and had existed for some time. Thus uncertainly the week passed on, till one morning Stockdale said to her, "'I have had a letter, Lizzie. I must call you that till I am gone.' "'Gone?' she said blankly. "'Yes,' he said. "'I am going from this place. I felt it would be better for us both that I should not stay here after what has happened. In fact, I couldn't stay here and look on you from day to day without becoming weak and faltering in my course. I have just heard of an arrangement by which the other minister can arrive here in about a week and let me go elsewhere." That he had all this time continued so firmly fixed in his resolution came upon her as a grievous surprise. "'You never loved me,' she said bitterly. "'I might say the same,' he returned, but I will not. Grant me one favour. Come and hear my last sermon on the day before I go." Lizzie, who was a church-goer on Sunday mornings, frequently attended Stockdale's chapel in the evening with the rest of the double-minded, and she promised. So it became known that Stockdale was going to leave, and a good many people outside his own sect were sorry to hear it. The intervening days flew rapidly away, and on the evening of the Sunday which preceded the morning of his departure, Lizzie sat in the chapel to hear him for the last time. The little building was full to overflowing and he took up the subject which all had expected, that of the contraband trade so extensively practised among them. His hearers, in laying his words to their own hearts, did not perceive that they were most particularly directed against Lizzie, till the sermon waxed warm and Stockdale nearly broke down with emotion. In truth, his own earnestness and her sad eyes looking up at him were too much for the young man's equanimity. He hardly knew how he ended. He saw Lizzie, as through a mist, turn and go away with the rest of the congregation, and shortly afterwards followed her home. She invited him to supper, and they sat down alone, her mother having, as was usual with her on Sunday nights, gone to bed early. "'We will part friends, won't we?' said Lizzie, with forced gaiety, and never alluding to the sermon, a reticence which rather disappointed him. "'We will,' he said, with a forced smile on his part, and they sat down. It was the first meal that they had ever shared together in their lives, and probably the last that they would so share. When it was over and the indifferent conversation could no longer be continued, he arose and took her hand. "'Lizzie,' he said, "'do you say we must part? Do you?' "'You do,' she said solemnly. "'I can say no more.' "'Nor I,' said he, "'if that is your answer. Good-bye.' Stockdale bent over her and kissed her and she involuntarily returned the kiss. "'I shall go early,' he said hurriedly. "'I shall not see you again.' And he did leave early. He fancied, when stepping forth into the grey morning light to mount the van which was to carry him away, that he saw a face between the parted curtains of Lizzie's window. But the light was faint and the panes glistened with wet, so he could not be sure. Stockdale mounted the vehicle and was gone and on the following Sunday the new minister preached in the chapel of the Moynton Wesleyans.
One day, two years after parting, Stockdale, now settled in a midland town, came into Nether Moynton by carrier in the original way. Jogging along in the van that afternoon he had put questions to the driver, and the answers that he received interested the minister deeply. The result of them was that he went without the least hesitation to the door of his former lodging. It was about six o'clock in the evening, and the same time of year as when he had left. Now, too, the ground was damp and glistening, the west was bright, and Lizzie's snowdrops were raising their heads in the border under the wall. Lizzie must have caught sight of him from the window, for by the time that he reached the door she was there holding it open, and then, as if she had not sufficiently considered her act of coming out, she drew herself back, saying with some constraint, "'Mr. Stockdale!' "'You knew it was,' said Stockdale, taking her hand. "'I wrote to say I should call.' Oh, "'Yes, but you did not say when,' she answered. "'I did not. I was not quite sure when my business would lead me to these parts. You only came because business brought you near.' "'Well, that is the fact. But I have often thought I should like to come on purpose to see you. But what is all this that has happened? I told you how it would be, Lizzie, and you would not listen to me.' "'I would not,' she said sadly. "'But I have been brought up to that life, and it was second nature to me. However, it is all over now. The officers have blood money for taking a man dead or alive, and the trade is going to nothing. We are hunted down like rats.' "'Owlet is quite gone, I hear.' "'Yes, he is in America.' We had a dreadful struggle that last time when they tried to take him. It is a perfect miracle that he lived through it, and it is a wonder that I was not killed. I was shot in the hand. It was not by aim, the shot was really meant for my cousin, but I was behind looking on as usual and the bullet came to me. It bled terribly, but I got home without fainting and it healed after a time. You know how he suffered?" No, said Stockdale. I only heard that he'd just escaped with his life. He was shot in the back, but a rib turned the ball. He was badly hurt. We would not let him be took. The men carried him all night across the meads to Kingsbeer, and hid him in a barn, dressing his wound as well as they could, till he was so far recovered as to be able to get about. He had gid up his mill for some time, and at last he got to Bristol, and took a passage to America where he settled in Wisconsin. "'What do you think of smuggling now?' said the minister, gravely. "'I own that we were wrong,' she said, "'but I have suffered for it. I am very poor now, and my mother has been dead these twelve months.' But won't you come in, Mr. Stockdale?" Stockdale went in, and it is to be supposed that they came to an understanding, for a fortnight later there was a sale of Lizzie's furniture, and after that a wedding at a chapel in a neighbouring town. He took her away from her old haunts to the home that he had made for himself in his native county, where she studied her duties as a minister's wife with praiseworthy assiduity. It is said that in after years she wrote an excellent tract called Render Unto Caesar or the repentant villagers, in which her own experience was anonymously used as the introductory story. Stockdale got it printed, after making some corrections and putting in a few powerful sentences of his own, and many hundreds of copies were distributed by the couple in the course of their married life. End of chapter 7 That's the end of The Distracted Preacher